Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see you all here on a beautiful summer afternoon. Maybe not summer yet, but it feels like it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Ephesians once again. Ephesians chapter 6. And we will once again read the passage that is going to be etched or ingrained in your minds. Especially if you hang around here long enough, you will know it. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading now at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherewith take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Uh, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word this afternoon, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we once again thank You for being God, the awesome God that we can depend on, that we can trust in, that made all that we see and more because you are beyond anything that we can possibly even comprehend in our finiteness, because you are infinite. Your love is infinite. Father, as we worship and praise you for the things that we know of you, these moments now we also commit to you, asking you to prepare us for the days ahead, for the times that you have allowed to take place. And Father, as you're looking in the Old Testament, it says, looking for someone to stand in the gap. We are in a time in our land where literally there are men and women that need to stand in the gap for you. Now, Father, take these words that we've read once again and allow us to see more clearly than ever that you have given everything necessary for us to have not only the ultimate victory, which was promised in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but, Father, the day-to-day battles. You've given us everything we need to be victorious, not only ultimately, but daily. Now, Father, we trust you with what you're going to do here amongst these people. We pray for those who were not able to be here as well. Father, that you put your arms around them, that you'd hold them close to yourself. And now these moments, Father, we commit to you, knowing that you will encourage us, strengthen us, and allow us to see you more clearly than ever. We ask that today that the Holy Spirit would completely and exclusively be our teacher, using the Word of God to go to the innermost parts of our being, lifting us up, glorifying yourself. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, Ephesians chapter 6, we've been, uh, we've been here a number of weeks already, and uh, I'm trusting that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. It's a time that we certainly need. We think of our world and all of the things that are going on within it. And it seems as such, I forget the exact passage in Isaiah, but it was said... Woe to them that believe that evil is good and good is evil. And unfortunately, that's where we have arrived. We no longer can tell the difference, and those that can't tell the difference don't even know what is good. That's crazy, isn't it? But that's where we find ourselves today. And as we gather around Ephesians chapter 6, I think it's interesting as well, we'll maybe just review some things about Ephesians that allow us to see how Paul had this, what should I say, that he's encouraging those readers of Ephesus and for us today as well, how we are to, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and this is, uh, if you know uh, how Paul wrote his letters, the first part of every letter, usually about half of it, he wanted to make sure that you got the right thinking processes, that you had the right facts, that you believed appropriately, and that's amazing. If you can't think clearly, if you can't think correctly, it's very unlikely that you will live correctly or rightly. So he always spent, let's get, let's get the message right. Let's get the doctrine. Let's get the teaching. Let's get the things that are really important. Let's get that right. Let's get your minds right. And then he did that for three chapters. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he 
breaks out and he goes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In other words, he's saying now, you're thinking, now I want you to learn how to walk. I want you to learn how to live. That's what walking means, is literally living. And it's amazing today that when we think about truth or the lack thereof, it literally does translate into reality. Truth is reality. Truth is living. It is walking. It is moving about. So there's a number of things that I'd just like to point out rather quickly as we just, because it's, it's it can lead you up to, okay, now here's what you got to think. This is what you got to believe. This is what you got to get your head wrapped around. And this is how I want you to walk. I want you to live this way. So there's a number of things that literally he displays or unfolds in how does one walk worthy? If I was going to ask you, how do you walk worthy? How do you walk the way you should according to God's appropriation? Well, the first thing that actually we find is the fact that we would walk in unity. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long, this is chapter 4, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There's a sense of walking in unity. Um, and, and it's amazing how these things that I'm going to ask you to look at, because Paul laid them out for the, for the Ephesians, it's amazing how these things are absent from the world just the world itself. These are things that are antithetical to how the world works. Is that not right? Show me unity in the United States of America, please. There's none. If there is, it's in small pockets. Uh, To walk in unity. We do that with proper thinking. But then there's also, he goes on, and I won't point all of these out necessarily by verse, but in verses 7 through verse 16, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Each and every one of you are there in this room that have trusted Christ as Savior. Something is very unique about you. You have been given gifts that are exclusive to you for your journey that God has played. And by the way, you weren't born too early. You weren't born too late. It was just like Esther in uh, in the time of her being around Hashuaris, her uncle told her, Mordecai said, Esther, could it be that you were born for such a time as this, to be in this place at this time for this reason? I'm here to say every single one of you in this room has been born for this season. Whatever that is and how crazy it is, you're here because this is the perfect time for you. Even in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus Christ came in the fullness of times. He didn't come one minute too early. He did not come one minute too late. He came at the perfect time to literally show God's love and to save us, even today, from our sins because he did it at exactly the perfect moment. He's a, and Jesus Christ is very interesting. <clears throat> no matter what you think of him, he's the only person literally that's ever walked the earth that has split time. You have before Christ and you have after Christ. If that's not significant, I can't think of what would be. Forget about anything else. That's the only one that's ever divided time. But he's done a lot more than that. He divided us from the power of sin. But let's move on. Not only are to walk worthy in unity and uniqueness, we're to walk in truth. Um, And also in verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, speaking the truth in love. Walking in truth. And it's a love walk. In fact, it even further says that in chapter 5 and verse 2. Very clearly says, and walk in love. Walk in love. Not a lot of that going on today. Verse 8 of chapter 5, we'll find that it's also to be walking in the light. Verse 8 says of chapter 5, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk then as children of the light. But that's not enough. In verse 15, it says, then see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Your walk should be wise. Are you getting a little overwhelmed? Let's review it. It'll even be more so. Uh, We're to walk in unity, in uniqueness, in in love, in truth, in the light, in wisdom. And then in verse 18, it says, do not be drunk with wine, where is in excess, and those controlled by, but be filled or controlled with the spirit. Your walk of, that is worthy would be one that would be walking in the Spirit. Now, those six things or seven things that we pointed out, it sounds so good, doesn't it? It sounds so good. And then he ends in chapter 6. You ready? Where we're at right now, he says, also get ready because you're going to have to walk in war. Why does that seem so counterintuitive? As Christians, when we get saved, when we trust Christ as Savior, we think it's all going to be flowery and goody-good. And there is. There's a promise of eternal life. There's the promise of joy that becomes yours immediately. You have peace with God. It tells us in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Thank goodness for that. Because you were enemies. We had this list up here last week. You're enemies with God. 
And that all got fixed. But you know what? Ultimately, we'll be talking about this in a moment. That victory is yours positionally. That can't be taken from you. In fact, the verses I read to my mother this morning, Romans chapter 8. Fantastic verses. Because you can't be separated from the love of God. You cannot be separated from the love of God if you've trusted Christ. It cannot happen. But what happens to us day after day after day after day in society, in life, all of the situations we find ourselves in, you know what? There are a few defeats here and there, aren't they? Why is that? I thought we were supposed to have victorious living. That's the difference. There's positional victory and there's practical victory. That's what the armor's for. That's why he's laying out in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. You have to put the armor on to win day-by-day battles. And that's what we forget. Sometimes we just, well, just let go and let God. Well, God takes care of the big stuff. He really does, especially if you've trusted Christ. This is the next piece of armor we're going to be talking about today, is putting on, or putting up the shield of faith. But before we go there, he gets us to this position telling us, this is what you need to do. Let's look at a couple other verses that would show us the ultimate victory that is ours, positionally. I would like to go to Romans chapter 8. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that I readily use um, when you're feeling that you just need to know that where you're at, this is a great passage of scripture. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. Um, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling out, if you're feeling discouraged, if you can't figure out, I, I can't win. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't have Jesus, you haven't won. You can't win without Jesus. I, I, I'm sorry. No, I'm not, actually, I'm not sorry. Because if there was no other way, that's the only way is in Jesus Christ. I, that is absolutely, I mean, I didn't make the rules. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. Praise God. If he hadn't, I would be a loser. I'd be standing in front of you with absolutely no confidence or encouragement for you today. Because if he would not have risen, then it had not been good enough. Muhammad, Hare Krishna. We could name all of those leaders, those that are... I would say at this point, I would call them cult leaders because they didn't rise from the dead. They didn't conquer the thing that we couldn't get conquered, and that's sin. Death came upon all men, for all men have sinned, and death passed upon all men. But let's look at Romans chapter 8. Let's read it now. In verse 31, uh, we will, it says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Wow, what a great question. Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall say, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies or declares not guilty. That's very important. God's the one that does that. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yes, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You see, I got to stop for me. I can't stand it because it's so great. I don't know who you have for an attorney or a lawyer, but he ain't nothing compared to Jesus. He ain't nothing compared to Jesus. And literally because Jesus Christ did rise again and he is sitting today at the right hand of the father. And when you are being accused by Satan, which in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we find that's one of his jobs. We'll also find he's very good at lofting fiery darts at you, but to accuse you. Jesus Christ, literally, is your defense attorney sitting at the right hand of God saying, Hey, you know what? He might have done that, but I paid for that sin. Don't accuse him of something of which he's not guilty of, or her. That's exactly what Jesus is doing today. And you say, Thank you. That's good, because it's all about that, isn't it? Absolutely. But let's keep going. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Those are all lofty things that are very far reaching. And he uses an Old Testament scripture here, verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But look, verse 37, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Uh, It's like a hyper-conqueror or a super, I like that word better, a super-conqueror. Super-conqueror. For I am persuaded, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, or anything else that you're thinking about, you can't even remember to think about that thinking, none of it 
None of it is able to separate us from the love of God. How? Which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That victory is ultimately yours if you have placed your trust and faith in God's grace, which is focused and completely founded within Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. There's a few other verses I would, you should put, write these down, have them close by. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. And he's talking about the Christian's victory in verse 51, but we're just going to dial into one verse in verse 57 of chapter 15. It says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate victory, which will be yours. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God. Again, thanking Him for what? Which always causeth us, causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. Again, it's all the ultimate victory is triumph through Jesus Christ. And one more, which pictures us as super conquerors, is in 1 John chapter 5. That disciple that walked and talked with Jesus, he was the one that was described in many places as the disciple that Jesus loved. What a, what a wonderful depiction. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. Now watch. And it is the Spirit... I, said, I read the wrong verse, didn't I? Verse 5, I'm sorry. First, that's why I kept saying, wait, it's got to come. I know it won't in verse 6 if you're not in the right verse. Verse 5 says this. I'm sorry. Verse John, chapter 5 and verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. That verse is so magnanimous in what it is in the power in Jesus Christ. There's little that one could add to it. But let's talk about winning the battle every day. If you're here and I asked you, did you win every single battle this week? You guys aren't even up for it. I, you, no one's even trying to lie. It's so obvious anywhere in our lives. That what, but why is that? I mean, we've just read about victory and you're saying, That's, that sounds so good, Larry, but it, it doesn't work that way. Now, all of the, the good news is, is all of the things that I've described so far literally are about the things that are positionally yours. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, if you've placed your trust in Him for your sin problem, then you ultimately have that victory. He's, those verses are for that. You can take them out and say, I win for sure. But now I want to talk to you about the Mondays, all the days that end in Y. Those are the challenges. <laughs> Just those. Okay? And lo and behold, we're even in a Sunday, aren't we? So what can we do? And that's really literally what Paul has set up the church that he wrote to in Ephesus, those Ephesians. Let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's review for a moment the first three things, the first three pieces of armor that he told us to put on. The first we found was the belt of truth. In verse 14 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, it says, stand therefore. Now, that's the other thing I want to be very careful. Sometimes when we think about a warfare, we think about running after the enemy. No, stop. Don't run after an enemy. You don't need to. The enemy will come to you. If you're doing your job and you're ultimately in Christ, guess what? He will find you. We are never told to run from the Satan. We are told to stand firm. Steadfast firmness in standing. Okay? That's the position that you need to think of, standing firm. Well, to do that, he says to put on the belt of truth. Now, these are, these are review. We went through these some weeks back. But, um, so I'm going to ask you, since you should know what we talked about, just through, you know, this is a little pop quiz. So the belt of truth, in a word or two, what, what's the significance? What is he really trying to get to us? What is Paul saying to the, to the Ephesians? He's saying to gird up, your gird up your loins with truth. That's right. And what? Commitment. Commitment. Being ready, being prepared to live your life, to surround yourself with truth. Now, you see, that's interesting. That means taking a position beforehand. Oftentimes, if a temptation comes to you about one you hadn't thought about, one you hadn't considered, guess what? You're kind of like open for business almost, right? I mean, it's, you're going to get hammered. You're going to get slammed. But if you've thought about it, if you've prepared, if you've been committed to truth, then guess what? That holds everything else together. And we talked a bit about that. Um, if, you were, if we were living in, uh, in the Roman times when which Paul would have written this, we would have walked into this place with a tunic on, which is literally a square sheet with a hole for your arms and for your head, and it would just kind of hang there, which is great if you're not running or the wind's not blowing. <laughs> but when either one of those are happening, 
Those are sights not fit for anyone else. The belt of truth, which cinches it all together and makes it all work and gives us the sense of togetherness. You see, that we can't ever have a nation that will be united. We can't have a nation that can walk in love. We can't have a nation that literally is designed to follow after God unless we literally believe that there is truth and that we stand firmly on truth and we let it guide our lives. That's what the belt of truth does. It really surrounds us and holds everything together. Otherwise, guess what? It's a free-for-all. Can you imagine if we all started running across the yard without the belt? That's what's happening in America today. Whoops, yeah, there's a whole lot of whoops going on. That's the belt of truth, being committed, being ready, being prepared, being ready to be ready, if you will. And then we talked about the next one, which we find having on the breastplate of righteousness. And that would be literally living the life that we are positionally having the ability to have. In other words, don't just know what the truth is. Listen and obey it. God's blessing literally rains down on those that are in the circle of obedience. If you're here and you're disobeying God, I will tell you, you are not living within his circle of blessing. Not because he doesn't want to bless you. He's not blessing you because you're not obeying him. That's blunt, but it's true because that's what the word says. But think of that as you put on, and it says literally, this is another verse that I, I know we say, I'm not going to go to it right now, but Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it talks about putting off those things of the flesh and what? Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the same thing that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. As you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're literally putting on that holiness and righteousness. Your life is matching up with what you now have the power within you to to perpetuate, okay? That's what the breastplate of righteousness would be about, living holy, righteous life. Now, again, not perfect. If you're here and you left, Larry said we're supposed to live perfectly. No, I didn't say that. But your goal should be towards that. In other words, a year from now, you should be sinning less and glorifying God more. It's almost, and again, it's not perfect. At Chuck Swindoll, I was, as a young man even, I remember him saying, it's three steps forward. And two steps back. But you know what? When you repent of sin and you get back in the fellowship of God, guess what? It's a stronger because he's helped you up. You know who you can depend on. You know where truth is. You know what you really can depend upon. And that's part of this sanctification process. That's part of this journeying through life. No, there's no perfection. But it gets better because you trust in him more. The third piece of armor that we've talked about is that of shoes. The shoes which is described for us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. He says, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We talked a lot about that last week in the sense of the stability. If you're out in the battlefield and you have a great breastplate of right, uh, well, a breastplate, which is to protect your vital organs, by the way, all, and think about this. Let's go back for just a moment. The breastplate of righteousness, that is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, it protects everything that guides you, your decisions, your emotions, your feelings, all of that is combined within what covers that breastplate of righteousness. Okay? But let's say that you have that on. Let's say you have the belt of truth, that you can literally take off across this yard with a great deal of speed and it's all together. But what if you don't have any shoes on? You're subject to almost anything. Now, I'm your ta- you're talking to somebody here that if there's a smallest grain of sand in a carpet in the house, I'm out. I cannot go without shoes. I can't do it. But just imagine on the battlefield. And that's why we talked about those shoes that the Roman soldiers would have had. And they weren't anything like we have in the sense of bootwear today. But it very much was set on the fact of a couple of things. One was foundation so that they wouldn't slip, wouldn't slide around. And isn't that exactly what the gospel is? The sense that you are now at peace with God. That is a foundation piece. If you don't know that you're at peace with God because you've trusted Christ, I'm going to tell you what, you have a slippery life going around. Satan can sell you stuff. You're going to fall down that mountain. You're going to fall in the flat, dry ground. That's what the shoes are for, is to give you stability, to give you foundation, to give you the sense of steadfastness so that you can stand firm. Now, those are the first three pieces. That was all review, and you said, good night, Larry. You don't have time to even keep going. Oh, we will. You'll be fine. We'll be fine. You'll be fine. But now he's saying, he changes the subject a little bit. He says something that is often misinterpreted. Let's keep going in Ephesians chapter 6, and let's look now up to verse 16, because he's going to give us the fourth piece. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts 
of the wicked. I'm going to finish and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, there's something that's changed in we have two sets, if you will. The first three, which we've just talked about, did you notice the word that is used? Let's go back and find it in the verses as described for us. And let's look at verse 14. Stay, I'm going to mark it for you. Stand there for having, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And, and the, the connotation is and having your feet shot. Did you see that? Having. And the impression of that is, is once you have those, don't take them off. But now watch the word that's changed in the next three. It says in verse 16, taking the shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation and you can see them together. So and take the sword of the spirit. Now, what are you getting at? Those first three things that we talked about, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, And the shoes of the gospel of peace, all three of those, once you have them, don't take them off. They are yours to be in place at all times. Now, let's think about this logically. If you have those on, let's let's go. We could either go to a battle. We could go to, let's think about it that way. So you're a Roman soldier. Put on your garb. You're a Roman soldier. You've walked into this battle. And let's say you got through a segment of it and there's just, there's nobody there. And you're taking a bit of a rest. It's a lull, if you will. What would you do? Now, again, let's, let's make all six of those belt of truth. You got your belt on. You got your breastplate of righteousness. You got your shoes on. You have a shield of faith, which we're talking about. You would have the sword of the spirit and the helmet. Think about this. We're going to actually look at even even the way it works today on the play, the battlefields of a football or basket baseball. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. So the, there's a lull in the action, and this guy says, "Oh man, I am beat." Paul says to to, to Ernie, "Oh man, I am whooped." So what do they? What would you normally do? You would lay down your shield. You would take off your sword, and you would probably. How come I'm failing to get this last one? Somebody just told me. What's the third one? What's the next? Helmet. Helmet. And you would take your helmet off. Would you take your breastplate off? No. Would you take your shoes off? God forbid. It was supposed to be funnier than that. Anyway, and then the other thing is don't take your belt off, right? You would be fine in just sitting there relaxing for a moment. But those three things are things in immediate action, in immediate readiness. And then someone says, hey, the enemy's coming. Enemy's coming. Enemy's coming. What do you do? You grab your shield, your sword, and your helmet. Think of it for today. Let's say that you watched a football game, professional football game. There's 22 players on the field. They got everything on that they know they can have on, right? 11 against 11, every possible imaginable thing. They all have the same stuff. They've trained probably differently, but they brought everything they got, and it's there. Referee whistles the play dead. Some of those players go back toward the sideline. They sit on the bench. How many of you do you see them take the helmet off? How many do you see taking off anything that has to do with that appropriate, in the action kind of thing? Do they take their shoes off? Only if they got the wrong ones on. Do they take their shoulder pads off? No. Do you see, it? Do you see what we're trying to get at here? The first three are not negotiable for you to put on and off. They are fixtures for you. The next three are those that you grab in the heat of the battle, just like it is in baseball. If that guy's in the dugout, he's sitting down there. You know what he doesn't have in his hands? He doesn't have a bat in his hands. He doesn't need it. But he goes to that on-deck circle, remember that? And then they put weights on it because they want to be able to swing with a little more zest when the weight's off. It's like home run city. But you don't have the bat on until you're ready to get up to bat. Correct? A lot of those guys don't even have their ball cap on until they step outside. You see, this makes perfect sense. Now, the above, and you're wondering, well, wait a minute, what's the above all mean? He's literally saying, besides those three, you got these. It's like double protection. Think of you have the breast of righteousness, which is actually protection for all the vital organs. But now he's saying, I've got another piece of equipment, another piece of armor that you get double protection. And this is what he's talking about, a shield. A shield of faith. Now, 
expounding upon that, there are two different kinds of shields that would have been appropriate for this time and age. One would have been like a giant frisbee. Okay, think of a frisbee. It would be round, and it would fit, I'm assuming that this gentleman that is fighting is a right-handed person. He would have that frisbee right over his forearm, okay? And it would, and then he would have what would be called a short sword. I can't think of the Greek name of it. But it would be something that he could wield really quickly and very effectively in hand-to-hand battle combat. This stuff is, I mean, we're right there. And that shield is to ward off anything that he brings to me. And I've got my other, my right hand on this short sword. Very hand-to-hand. That is not, that is not the word that's used to describe this particular shield. This shield, the other one that we would have in play in Romans, was a great big, and I'm saying great big, it was, it was much bigger than that. It was about four and a half feet. Is that four and a half feet? Because I'm not, I'm about five nine, so what do you think? About there? Okay, right there. And it was about two and a half, how's that? Two and a half by four and a half. Okay, now it was made of heavy, of a heavy plank. It was thick wood, and it would be covered with either heavy leather or metal. Because its purpose was to literally, as that, now let, let's talk about the enemy. What would he launch? What would, what would he be launching at you? He's trying to do as much overall damage as possible. It's not just necessarily to the individual that that arrow is shot at, but oftentimes it's, maybe they're even in a fort. Maybe they're in an area where there's dry grass, or there's somewhere that they could do further damage. In fact, as you think of some of those old westerns, um, where they're in the house, the best thing they'd probably do is burn the house down because you're going to get them out of there, right? Same thing. They would take, they would take their arrows and probably have something. I mean, it wasn't, wouldn't be a ball of cotton, but it would be something like that, that they would put pitch on it, and they would light it on fire just before they launched it. And then when that pitch would hit, if it was just wood or anything grass, that pitch would scatter, and it would burn stuff down. Fiery darts. That's exactly the picture that Paul wants here. But if you had, and this is the way a lot of those garrisons would have went forward, it was, it was the, the encroaching or the front lines. All of those men would have had these large shields that would have warded against a barrage of incoming arrows. Lit ones or not. And then behind that first defense, if you will, is the guys that they're launching arrows behind them. But what if they just went out shooting arrows with no defect, no, no uh, defense? Oh, man, it'd mow them down, right? Especially from cover. So you see the idea is the sense that this is absolutely, and again, they all have their breastplate of righteousness, this is double protection. This is to knock down those fiery darts that comes from, it says, this is interesting, this is not a philosophy that you're fighting. This is actually a person. Let's read it. Above all, in other words, in addition to the first three, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench half of the fiery darts of the wicked. All, not one, should be able to get by. And that that word wicked literally means the vile one, the wicked one, the wretched one. We're talking about this is a battle. These darts, these fiery darts are coming specifically from an individual, and he is Satan. Satan and his demons are launching these fiery darts. We'll be talking about those in a minute. But you can tell the more that you have in the sense of... And those, those shields would come together almost blocked. Some of them were even made to interlace. They would move, as a, they would move these, this first front line. They didn't have the weapons as such. They had the defense, and those other guys would be right behind them, and they'd just keep moving and would allow themselves to shoot over into the enemy, the volley. That's exactly the picture. They could, they could take anything that was offensive and shut it down. That is exactly what Paul would have in mind in using this shield to knock down the fiery darts. Now, fiery darts, we talked about them in battle that the Romans would have been engaged in. But what is a fiery dart? What would Paul be talking about coming from Satan? Temptation. Temptation. Um, have you now sometimes most of the time uh, uh, a pastor or someone will talk about temptations you talk about them one at a time have you ever had it rain temptations i mean they're like everywhere right you've maybe been in some place that and i've I've been this way i've been in a place in some sense of a geographical location i needed to leave i just needed to i just in my spirit it was like larry you need to get out of here okay i gotta get out of here now, it's amazing. In fact, uh, I don't remember where I was at. Uh, I don't remember. 
But I was talking to someone, and we were just talking about temptation. And, and sometimes, out of, have you noticed this? Somewhere out of the blue, I mean, out of the blue, you're not thinking about this. You're not, all of a sudden, poof, there is something that just got launched in your head. And what are you going to do with it? Do you see 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5? You have to take captive every single thought. Every single thought you take captive for Jesus Christ. Because those, those volleys, those reigning temptations, Satan knows how to attract you. It might be through your eyes. It might be through your ears. It might be a feeling. It might be anything. And literally, what are you going to do about it? You've got to knock down those fiery darts. It could be selfishness. It could be anything imaginable that sucks you away from what God would want you to do. How are you going to do that? What is going to get you to stay free of those selfishness, doubt, fear, disappointment, lust, greed, covetousness? They all come under three, which we talked about last week. Every one of those temptations, you can name them all. Name them all. They all come down and they're condensed under three avenues, which he talked about last week. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every single one of those, whether they're ones that you can handle, so to speak. There's two, there's two type of temptations that really bother me, personally. And I'm not going to name them because it's not that way. It's the ones that I think I can handle. Have you had that list? Oh, I've never, I'm good there. Watch out. Put a warning flag. Those are the ones you're in trouble with. I can't, re- I can't begin to tell you how many, uh, quote-unquote, pastors or religious leaders that literally have said, uh, I, I will never be trapped by sexual immorality. Stop your lips right now, because that will be the most likely place that you probably will stumble. And then the other one is, the one that comes to mind, that is an area that I'm very weak in. Those two really bother me. The ones that I don't think I have a problem with, and the ones I know I have a problem with. Isn't that true? But all of those line up under those three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those are the fiery darts. They're coming at you all the time. So what is the shield of faith? What is faith? When it's raining temptation, when, when Satan is firing off all of those fiery darts, where, where, where's my shield? Where, where, have, you ever, have you ever been looking for your shield? We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Well, I, 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 it's off to the dry cleaner. I, can't, I don't have it right now. That's not good. That's not good because he's not going to wait for you. Are your shoes? Oh, I forgot them. They're, they're down in the basement. Bad idea. The belt. Oh, it broke. I didn't fix it. Right? Those are not acceptable because what did we find about those first? I want you to remember, if nothing else today, the fact those first three that we've talked about, those are permanent because you have them, you keep them on. These other three are ones that you pick up in the urgency of the battle, in the urgency of readiness. This shield of faith is the first one. You grab that. What is faith? Can somebody define faith for me? I'm, I'm gonna, I'll just start writing stuff down. You tell me what faith is. What is faith? Believing without seeing. Believing without seeing. Okay. What do you guys think about that? Okay. Okay. See, and so far right now in this room, I can, sh- I can tell you that every single one of you is believing. Now, there's people that say you can't, I I don't have any faith. That faith thing, that's a Christian thing. That's a dumb thing. Faith is dumb. Now, right now, if if you came in and you were one of those people and you said that to me, I would say, well, you're exercising faith right now. Presently, I'm not involved with your faith. You are living independently of me. I'm the only one right now that's not trusting in something that you are. You're sitting in a chair. You are trusting your body's weight with that chair. You have, now, you came in and you probably did. I mean, in fact, now maybe Paul did. I didn't watch him carefully, but he came out and he looked. And, let's see, this chair. Well, that was manufactured in China, which it is, by the way. I, I haven't even got a comment about that, right? Paul, where did we get those bad boys, right? Okay, so let's, let's bypass that. And it was made in 1948. That's not true, but that's okay. And he's searching it all over and he's looking at the bottom of it. And he makes a, he makes a decision. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to sit in that chair. Okay? But he's placed faith now in that chair that it's going to do what it's, what, what it's supposed to do. There are right. a lot of people out there that have belief that uh, an experimental vaccine is going to save them. That's a lot of faith. There's a lot of faith in a lot of things. Now, it's important that we place faith in something that's worthy of the faith being placed in. That was the second thing. Make sure that faith is only... I mean, faith is this. It's only as strong... As the object in which it's placed. 
Now, if I'm trusting this chair to save me from sin, oh, that's not going to work out. But if I trust this chair to hold my weight so that I can sit in it, that's okay. That's why, again, I'm going to say it again. The only one that you can literally trust is God because he's the only one that conquered sin and death. That's the ultimate. That is the ultimate. Because every person will die physically. That's the one you got to watch out for. So is your faith in that one that can do that or is it in everything else? It's amazing how much faith we have in ourselves. I, I remember this comment as well from a gentleman that I got to know fairly well. He came with a health condition that was very, very serious. And he said, I just have to believe. And I pressed. I probably shouldn't have, but I did. I said, well, you're going you're to have faith in what? Well, uh, I just have to have faith. I, I said, but let, let's faith in what? And you know what it came down to? He needed to have enough faith in faith. That's not enough. Because that's only as strong as whom? His faith. You see what I'm saying? That and ultimately, that's what I say. It doesn't matter who's in power in the world today. I could care less. Because my faith is not in them. My faith is in God. Period. Nebuchadnezzar, he was a jerk. But you know what? God used him and God ultimately saved him. Right? Think of it. How about a Hashuerus? Or you could think of Cyrus. You could think of those men that were not Christian. They were not in any way necessarily godly. But God used Cyrus, I'm thinking of specifically. He used Cyrus to send the Jews back to their homeland. You see, God's who I'm going to trust in. That's who Abram trusted in. Who do we trust in? And faith, the, the shield of faith is this. It's just this simple. I either believe in God, the shield comes up. And when I believe Satan's lies, the shield goes down. That's exactly, it's that simple. When my faith is in God and I'm trusting him, let's think about what do we trust him for? I'm going to trust that he wrote the word. He wrote the Bible. I'm going to trust that he loves me. I'm going to trust that he sent Jesus to pay for my sin. I'm going to trust that Jesus rose again. I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to come back for me. And I'm going to trust that he promised eternal life to those that follow him. Those are all actually individual faith items, but they're all together in the sense of anonymity, I'm sorry, in unity to literally give us the foundation for the shield of faith. Now, what Satan wants you to do is to pull your shield down because when you have your shield down, guess what happens? He can take those temptations and rocket them right into you. Now, think of this. This is double protection. I want you to make sure you understand this. Sometimes the shield of faith, you may doubt we all have those moments. That's why, for instance, today, as I read to my mother, I wanted to make sure that the word of God was speaking directly to her so that the truth was right. Because the spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us, literally takes that and builds that. But think of it. You have the second protection in the fact of when he sends that fiery dart, guess what the first thing is? All of your vital organs are protected by what? The breastplate of righteousness, which is you living, holy, righteous living, obeying what the word says. And that can take a beating. If you don't have a breastplate of righteousness and you're just and that and you miss the, the shield of faith by just a little bit. Guess what happens? Do you see how important the first three are? You can't take those off. You cannot take those off. You can't take those off. Now, sometimes it's amazing that enemy can be from a side glance. And, you know, it's nicer to go as Christians into battle and you will each have your shield of faith. But what if your neighbor puts down his shield of faith and that guy's sitting in there and you can't get it right away? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how it works together? This faith amongst Christians, you have to believe what God has laid out for us. So vitally important. It's so important that the shield of faith is placed in action. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, God himself in his word describes for us what faith is. Now, if you're here today and you say, I really don't need faith. Faith is kind of for wimps. I believe in, I don't know what I believe in, but I don't really believe that I have to have this, this faith stuff. I'm going to tell you something. If you're trying to please God without faith, you cannot do that because the scripture says it. It says this. It's impossible. Verse 6, chapter 11. Without him. No, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him being God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that is a rewarder. Of them that diligently seek him. That's God's description of faith. Believing him. 
believing he wrote the Bible, believing that God, Christ is God, believing that Christ died, believing that Christ rose, believing that he's coming back, believing that we can enter his kingdom by believing in him. We spoke of it just a moment ago, but faith has got to be in something that's worth putting your faith in. Uh, I was, there was a man by the name of John Payton. You ever heard of John Payton? Probably not. He was a missionary to the South Sea Alliance. There was a, a, a people out there that he was trying to write a version, a translation, translation of the Bible to. And you know, in their language, there was no such word for faith or trust. There was no, there was no word for that. And he was just stymied by it. He didn't know what to do. You know, because how are you going to expre- ex- explain Jesus without faith or trust? Uh, uh, that's a problem, isn't it? And he said there was a, one of the tribal members came running into his, into his office and just plopped himself down in a chair. And he said, it's so good to put my entire weight on this chair. And that word that he used, he said, that's my word for faith. And literally that, I'm not going to say the entire tribe, but the tribe began to know what it meant to trust in Christ. It's just like sitting in that chair. Did I ever tell you this? Uh, I was a, was a pastor. I thought he was a friend of mine. I was about 16 or 17. Did I tell you that? I'll share with those that, didn't, that I haven't heard. But anyway, um, this pastor, his name was, was uh, Pastor Gould, G-O-O-L-D. Why would I remember that? Because he made an impression upon me. And uh, I was about 16 or 17, a very what should we say, impressionable age. And in front of the congregation on a Sunday morning, he asked me, out of the blue, never asked me before. He said, Larry, would you come up here? I've got a, I've got a little bit of a uh, kind of a... Just a lesson that we want to just explain to some folks. Would you come up and I'm, hmm. I was very shy and quiet back then. That's hard to imagine. I'm sure it is, but I was. And so sure enough, I waltzed off to the front and he, uh, he had me, he had me sit by this chair and he was talking and he was talking about faith. It was his day to talk about faith. And he was talking about how important it is to really trust. And sometimes he says, you have to trust God without being able to see in the future. You're going to have to trust God when you really can't see all of the details. Boy, that sounds like life, doesn't it? How many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow being Monday the 31st? I'm not sure of anything. Literally, literally. Okay. So he goes on and on. So what he says, so what we need to do is we we make sure that Larry can't see anything either. It'd be just like living life um, in the future. So he's got this blindfold and he puts it on me. And I'm, now I'm starting to get a little nervous. I'll just be honest. I don't really like being in the front of the sanctuary with a, a blindfold on, and I'm not really in control. That sounds like it's sort of like life in itself, right? And then, then he had me stand up. And he suggested, Larry, as, de- as you're thinking about how to implement faith, as you're trying to think about how to trust God, he says, Larry is, is really going to show you exactly here in the next few moments of what it's like literally to put your trust in God. And then he said this. He said, Larry, I'm going to have you sit down. And I did, right on the ground, because he pulled the chair away. And you say, that's so mean. But you know what? I never forgot it. (laughs) You've noticed I haven't forgotten it, right? <laughs> That's the bottom line. That's the bottom. I won't be able to use that on anyone, right? I think I blew that one. I should have tried that. Paul, would you come to the front right now? But you know what? That's not how God responds. When you've trusted him, he doesn't pull the chair away. Now, why did I sit down? Because I trusted Pastor Gould. I knew I could trust a pastor. And I wonder what it took for him to actually literally... Larry's, and he was, he was a really nice guy. But think of that. He took a risk. He was going to have some, now he didn't ask for volunteers. He asked for me to come up. Now, I don't know what that means. But the point of the matter was, is you know what? That's a perfect picture of what trust is. Will we trust God when we can't see? Will we trust God when it doesn't seem appropriate? Will we trust God when it looks like it's the wrong example? Will we trust God with everything that we have when it doesn't look like it's going to work out? That's what the shield of faith is. When you pull that into position, then any of those fiery darts, which literally are nothing more than this, they are Satan's darts of doubt. Think of Jesus Christ. Now, he would have been tough to kind of, to, uh, to kind of sucker in, wouldn't it? Uh, we're not going to go there, but in Matthew chapter 4, our time is slipping away. But in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. First thing I'm thinking about, oh, by the way, it tells us also he didn't have anything to eat. I'm thinking hungry, right? 
That was, that was a good one. Now, is there anything wrong with Jesus eating food? Of course not. Was there anything wrong necessarily with Jesus now with Satan? said, why don't you go ahead and take these rocks and turn them into a loaf of bread? I think it'd be great. You need the food, buddy. I mean, look at this. In fact, to take it another level, he's basically saying, you know what? God doesn't really care about you. He's left you out there for 40 days. You think that he's treating you right? That doesn't seem appropriate. That doesn't seem right. I don't know if you can really trust him. So why don't you just go ahead and use the power that you have? Just make those rocks bread. Don't trust God anymore. You take care of yourself. Oh, I never heard of it. I never saw it that way. That's exactly what he sold, and that's exactly what he sells us every time in our lives. We want something. We need something that we really don't want to wait for God to unpack. Remember when he was going to stand, and he showed them all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you know what? This Messiah game, he said, you're 30 years old, and, you know, look, you got nothing. You're a carpenter. I mean, he's telling you you're going to be this great savior. I'll tell you what, you just jump off of this thing, and you, a bunch of angels will show up, and you're in. You talk about people believing you. I would say that, you know what? I don't trust God's timing. I don't think he knows what he's doing. You see, those are fiery darts. Did you see how Jesus responded? He pulled up the shield of faith, literally, and he could, you couldn't have any more faith than Jesus. But you see what he did? He used the word of God to ward off those darts of doubt. That's exactly what Satan will throw at you this week. He's going to do it literally probably when you even step out of this building. He could be doing it right now. I can't believe I'm here. I should be fishing. That kind of stuff, right? That wasn't as funny as we went to either, right? <laughs> right? But do you see what I'm saying? Literally, every single time that he throws a, a, a fiery dart, it's a doubt of dart that is trying to take you out of trusting God. And when you have the shield of faith, which means I'm trusting God, do you know why those fiery darts can't penetrate? Because it shuts them right down because you've either trusted God or you have not trusted God, which means what? You have trusted Satan. That's what Eve did. She trusted Satan. She said, you know what? I think, Satan, you got the good deal. We are going to become like God. I looks like a really great apple. I don't know what brand it is, but Adam, what do you think, buddy? What did they do? They put their shield down. They trusted Satan. I will tell you 100% of the time, 100% of the time, if you trust Satan, you will lose. That's not in debate. That's not for question. Now, he can't take you, because Jesus said, who the Father has given me, it cannot take him away. I've read in Romans chapter 8 to you. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says you can know that you are saved. You can know that you are his. And you cannot be separated from the love of God if you've trusted Christ. Those are great things to know. But it's the day-to-day stuff. When those fiery darts come in, how do you respond? That's what I want you to win. That's what Jesus wants you to win. That's what Paul wanted you to win. Every single one of those battles. Not one dart should get past that That. That shield of faith, because that's what it does. Faith knocks down doubt. Cannot be together. Cannot be together. Excuse me? It does. Faith knocks down doubt. Absolutely. And so the faith, and this is the, this is the other thing, though. Be careful. Faith is whatever we believe in. Okay? To just take faith by itself. Is it worthy of being believed in? If you have faith in Satan, and that's what you've done if you lay the the, the the um, shield of faith down. Then what you've done is you've believed a lie. See, that's what's happened in the United States of America right now. Just as a nation, we no longer even want necessarily truth. Postmodernism says that you can't know truth. There is no truth. Truth is the problem. If we didn't have truth, we wouldn't have any problems. That's literally what is an explanation of the philosophy of postmodernism. I'm here to say the French word for that is baloney. <laughs> because that's we're in trouble. Because that means everybody, I don't know how many people are in this room, but literally it's this. That means that every single one of you can have your own truth and you can all be right. That is nonsense. That's why we're in a mess. That's why we're in a mess. You must have truth, real truth, truth that matches reality. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. Let's start closing down 1 John chapter 5. And let's look at verse 10. 1 John chapter 5 verse 10. This is what we do, literally, when we don't believe uh, the right things. First John chapter 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. 
If you say you don't believe God, you've made him a liar. Now let's turn back to a little letter to Titus. If you find Hebrews, just turn back just a little bit. And you will find one page of Philemon, and then there's Titus. Boom, right there. Look at how Paul starts this off to this letter to Titus. Let's start in chapter 1, and let's read the first couple verses. This is so important. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that can not lie, promised before the world began. Isn't that cool? God cannot lie. It's not even in his nature. There's nothing that he could do that would change anything that he has said because it all is true. Abraham, he believed God. Let's take a couple of looks through some of the scriptures we have here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I've got a few to, to sort through and then we're going to be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. How were we to stand in Ephesians chapter? How was our position in the sense of putting on the armor? To stand firm. To stand firm. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. Now let's go all the way back to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. You're going to start to see some of the things in the Old Testament that line up with what he's talking about back in Ephesians. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Does that not line up beautifully with Ephesians chapter 6? He's your shield to those that put their trust in him. Let's go back to Psalms. You're in Proverbs. Psalms chapter 18. Psalms chapter 18. If you don't, just write, jot these down and take a look at them at home in your own uh, office or place of worship or prayer. Uh, Psalm chapter 18, and let's look at verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. And you're going to say, what is a buckler? Did you walk in, Paul, did you go to the Napa store uh, last week and walk in and ask, uh, ask Mr. Show, do you have a buckler? And he would say, a what? Oh, well, it's a buckler. I, in the Bible, it says that there's a buckler. Yeah, that would be one thing. We could think of it that way, right? A buckler. In fact, let's look at another one. Because I'm going I'm to get at your interest peak. Let's go back to the same Psalm, chapter 18, and let's read verses 1 and 2. These two verses are some of my favorite, favorite verses. Read them to my mother this morning as well. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust my, bu- my buckler. And the horn of my salvation, my high tower. Now we've got to find out what a buckler is, right? He's my buckler. Well, if you take and find in, if you go down and use that, find the definition of that word buckler, as it was used in the King James Version, do you know what it means? Are you ready for this? This is so cool. Nobody's going to guess. Oh, you look. You cheated. Well, thanks for at least saying that. So go ahead and share with us. Now, what is it? Shield. Shield. Is that not cool? He is our shield to those that trust in him. Do you see how it all ties together? Oh, it's so good. You say it's not nearly as good as you're trying to make it out to be. It's better. It's better. Now, here's the deal. When you believe God, your shield is up. He's your buckler. He's your shield when? When you believe in God. Believe Satan, shield goes down. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. We've been there in verse 5, but let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter um, chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John 5, 4. Just a couple more left and you'll be free to go. Anxious to get into the victorious living of day-to-day putting on the armor of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. What? Even our faith. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. Let's go to 1 Peter. Let's following right up with that line of thought. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. This is a familiar passage. We've looked at it several times. Watch. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist 
steadfast. How? In the faith. In the faith. Exactly. Let's close with Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 46. You think you've had a bad day. You think you've had a bad week. You think you've almost had a bad life. Things are too crazy. We couldn't possibly be able to get through this. How about, how's that doing? You've had situations like that? You know what? We all probably have. We've had situations. We've had challenges. We've had things that just seem, there's no way I can get through this. You're right. You can't get through this. But let's read these two verses. And then I want you to see how magnanimous this is. It says, God is our refuge and strength. Chapter 46 of Psalm, verses 1 and 2. A very present help in trouble. He's right there. Therefore will not we fear. We're not going to fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, we just read over that, but literally, if you open this door, and a good share of you can look out that window, and you can see nothing that I wanted you to see. You just see trees. But if, you were, if I was going to go out and cut those trees down, you would see Mount Baldy. You would see that huge mountain that, you know, there's people in our bull sale catalog, they actually think we just have this scenery of this mountain in our pictures of the bulls, that it's not really out there. They've asked, why do you do that? Because it's there. It's there. And thank God it is. It's lovely. It's beautiful. But you know what? Now, let me, let me go back to the real issue here. It says we don't have to fear even if Mount Baldy fell into nothing and it just split and that's going to happen. There's some things going to happen in the tribulation period that are going to flat smoke you. You're not going to be here. I'm sorry. It would blow your mind. Let's, let's do it that way. If you're in Christ, you're no, you don't need to be there. Don't be there. Don't plan on that one. But did you get that? When literally the whole valley is, is just completely upheaval in every place. You know what? We can trust him because he is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our help. He is our strength. He is our buckler. You guys will never forget buckler, will you? <laughs> right, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go home. And I, God is my buckler. He's my shield. Why? Because you have the shield of faith that knocks down those darts that are full of doubt. There. Yes. My granddaughter, a few years back, she had a, they had a thing where they were going to uh, talk about states or, or, um, Places and so she did Yellowstone, and she 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 did her thing. She had it on a piece of board, and she had different. Uh, she's very artistic, and she had the mountains and the and all the things around. And she said, "Grandma," she said, um, "You know, the teacher talked about different areas." And she said, "You're not in a very good area." <laughs> she said, <laughs> "Something happens in Yellowstone." So you better get out of there pretty quick. <laughs> and I said, I'll, I'll think about that. <laughs> but I didn't want to tell her I won't be here to think about it. <laughs> and and, and literally, let, let's talk about it for a minute. Some, some things of eminent danger. And by the way, if you read what potentially could happen in, in, that West, in, in the Yellowstone uh, Park region, I mean, it's, it's pretty daunting. Yeah. It's pretty daunting. In fact, why are we here now that I think about it? <laughs> okay? Because this is where God placed us, literally. And you know what? I want to have something that I can have faith in that's bigger than that. That's bigger than anything. Uh, as I mentioned to you, I want to continue to, to just harp at this because um, it's amazing where our young people, our youngest generation, the Gen Zs, today do not believe that you can know truth as a group. They do not believe you can know truth. But the number one problem on their, on, on their agenda, the thing that they see as the biggest issue that they have to deal with coming up is climate change. So what does that tell us? That means if you tell a lie or something, even if, if, whatever, if you say it loud enough and long enough, that's what you believe because everyone believes in something. Don't ever forget that. If you believe in truth or not believe in truth, you have believed in something that becomes your truth whether it's right or wrong. But I'm here to say this. The number one problem in the world is sin. And I want to have something or someone that is big enough to be able to handle that. And I'm here to tell you that is a very exclusive club. Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. That is the way it is.
because God said it is. And I hope that you are going to go home and you're going to get your shield of faith and you're going to have that boy up because you're trusting God. And do not, for any reason, take the first three items, the first three pieces of armor. And what are they again? They are the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the shoes of the salvation of peace. Does that make sense? That Just that whole arrangement? Because you can, you're probably wondering, how can I hold the shield of faith all day long? No, you don't have to. You do it in the heat of the battle. When you start to see that volley, that raining of temptations, that's when you have it out there for double protection. Double protection. Okay, with that, I've been wandering on. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for providing everything we need to be taken care of victoriously, not only ultimately, Father, through the victory over sin and death, which Jesus Christ accomplished solely and completely and woefully when he was crucified on a cross as he was all man dying at physical death on a cross and all God to be able to rise from the dead. What an amazing picture of love, Father, for you to have chosen to do that. As it says in Ephesians chapter 1, that you chose to do that before the foundation of the world. You had a plan in mind before you made anything, knowing what would happen. But, Father, I also thank you for the fact that we've been uncovering and, and, and the Spirit has been leading us in the Word of God, showing us that actually victorious living on a day-to-day, a moment-by-moment, an hour-by-hour battlefield, Father, that can be ours when we put on the whole armor of God. Help each and every one in this place and with the sound of my voice being able to put on those items, that armor that can literally <coughs> bolster them and bring them to a level of complete defensiveness against the onslaughts and the wiles, the craftiness of our enemy, Satan. Thank you, Father, for protecting us and holding us close to yourself. And now, Father, as we take off in this journey, even from this place on this day, as Lord willing, next week we would meet again, that you would be in charge of every single step, every single thought process, every single thought, as we bring them into captivity for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you'd bless, encourage, uplift, glorify yourself. We thank you for all that you're accomplishing because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on Calvary's tree. We can say with a great deal of confidence that we are victorious in him. And it's in him we pray these things. Amen.